In your Bible this evening to the book of Acts, chapter number 8 and 9 and 10. I said 8, 9, and 10 so that you could find 8, 9 because I'm going to preach out of 10. I want you to not pass over it and get too far ahead of yourself there. Um, I don't know what he was expecting when he said I had a 45-minute message. I'd have to go home and study several more hours to preach that long without I repeat several times. I'd like to uh, answer the question, why do we even bother with having missions conferences? Why do we emphasize any of this at all? Uh, you know, we could be like a lot of the other churches now that we're, we're big enough and the offerings are large enough. I could just, you know, preach self-help sermons and so you could help yourself out and not make anybody mad and not make anybody upset because... Uh, uh, we're not soul winning, not uh, confronting folks with the gospel. Uh, I could do that, I suppose. I don't think God would be too pleased with that. And I, I tell you, I do not want this church to be on Brother Manny's list. Amen. If you notice something, they're not breaking the doors to get in. Uh, we ought to be breaking their doors to get them in. Uh, you know, God sent us. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever command everybody in the world to go to church. But he has commanded the church to go into all the world. And we don't get that backwards. If we get that backwards, we're, we're dying on the vine. Amen. So I just thought I'd preach to you tonight just for a little while since Andrew copped out and didn't want to tonight. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of the band called the Italian band. A devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him and saying to him, Cornelius. When he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What? Is it, Lord? He said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. When the angel which spake unto Cornelius departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Our Father, tonight I pray that we could just get a, a glimpse of the condition of this old world in which we live in. Lord, truly, we live in a religious land, but an ungodly land. We live in a world that is controlled by the powers and the prince of the hour. So I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd kind of move us a little bit in the direction of back what you'd have us to do for the glory of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
We introduced you to a man by the name of Cornelius, a centurion of the Roman army, in charge of approximately 100 soldiers. He makes his home in Caesarea, a little city about 60 miles outside of Jerusalem, dedicated to the governor of that area by the Roman Empire. In fact, I read recently where that excavators have, have excavated a portion of stone out of a building in Caesarea that has written on it Pontius Pilate. So this is where the political headquarters of Rome was in that day for Judea. The Bible says that he is a religious man, but a very needful man. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared in him. That would be enough right there to shake me up. Now, I know some folks just wake up and see angels standing for their bed all the time. But you need to quit eating anchovies before you go to bed. That's the problem with that deal. And so here is a man that is lost. Regardless of what his religious perspective might be or his qualifications might be, here is a Gentile living in a Jewish country that is lost and needs the gospel. I wonder, do you suppose, are there any people like Cornelius living anywhere near this church? Religious, yes. Going to church, yes. By every denomination you can imagine, yes. Feeling fine about themselves, yes. Because they're living in a world that is demand, that is that is absolutely controlled by the devil and his henchmen, and everybody is comfortable religiously, just like they are. Nobody is lost anymore. Everybody is saved. You say, how do you know that? We ask them. And if you'd been asking anybody, you'd find out that's what they say. And everybody is lost. Our problem in America is getting people lost. Obama is right. We are in a mixed, multicultural society. And he ain't helping much. For you educated folk, he's not helping very much at all. Notice I took the ant out. But I wonder if there is any, if there are any Corneliuses living close by where you live. I wonder if there's anybody who has a desire for God, know they have a need for God, and yet no one has told them a biblical plan by which they may reach God. I have found that there are more people willing to listen about God than there are Christians willing to share with them about God. And that is a rank shame. Not only are there people next door, down the street, across the way, working at the service station, that has a desire for God, but there's folks around the world, in Europe, Australia, in Canada, in Mexico, everywhere you go, people need the Lord. Does anybody agree with that tonight? 
And I just believe in Acts chapter number 10, we come face to face with a young man by the name of Cornelius. If the church had been doing what God had told him to do, Cornelius had already been saved. But when we get to Acts chapter number 10, we notice that the church has not yet had a burden for the Gentile. They had settled back on their laurels, if you would please, and were busy evangelizing the Jew and Jerusalem area. That's why the church grew at such a, a rapid rate. But in Acts chapter 8, God did something. In Acts chapter 7, God did something to get those Christians off their happy do-nothing. He sent persecution. He sent problems. He sent economic Problems, And all of a sudden, people realize, hey, I remember he told us, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the world. Now, they had fixed that Jerusalem deal. That church had grown to uh, exceed probably 50,000 in the book of Acts chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Can you imagine what the Jewish community must have thought taking 50,000 tithers out of the temple area? Now the tithe is not going to the temple, it's going to the local church. It's helping griping widows with their needs. And can you imagine the problem that has arisen? And so I must suggest to you tonight the one reason why we have mission conferences is people need the Lord. You say, preacher, that's nothing new. But we need to make it a priority. Now, I'll help folk turn their water on if their water gets off. I'll help the widows and the retirees in their monetary need and helping fix their cars and and fixing their houses or putting roofs on it. I'll do that. But you put her down. I'm not going to get persuaded or sidetracked fixing everybody's deal and letting souls go to hell. We're not going to sit back on our laurels and, and act like we're doing God a favor by taking his money and buying stuff for people. We're going to buy buses and send missionaries because people are lost. We need to realize the fact that this is priority. It's not something we just do once a year. The Bible, I think, makes missions a priority. This should be a spiritual entity, not a social entity. We want it to stay churchy. Not ball gamey. Not rock and rolly. Not hallelujah, I feel good and ain't gonna do nothing. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, our mission is missions. Whether it's across the street, whether it's around the world, wherever it might be, we need to keep that as a priority. I almost 
run Brother Matney off when I saw who he had on his deal there. Just got me plumbing the flesh. But it proved my first point. The reason we need to keep missions a priority is that all religions do not have the same end. Now, you need to get that. All religions do not have the same end. Notice, if you would please, in verse 2 and 3, Cornelius was a religious man. A religious man. The Bible says a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to people and prayed to God always. That guy would make most Baptists absolutely ashamed of themselves. A lot of Baptists I know are so tight financially they have to screw their socks on before they get their shoes on. Amen. Would you believe that somebody got mad at me because I said something about money last month? Now, they're waiting until I get through with money so they can come back. That's what Brother Harper even made a visit and said, well, preacher mentioned money. I can't imagine me mentioning money. Can you imagine me mentioning money? Can you imagine me saying, if I can't trust you with a tithe, I wouldn't let you in my chicken house at night? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Somebody else said that. A friend of mine, he's dead in heaven and now. Probably the reason he's there, he said this. He preached that night. He preached on offering, tithes, and giving. So after the service, a fellow came forward and said, Brother Jack, would you pray with me about something? He said, sure. Brother Garner got down by the altar there and started praying. He said, well, what are we going to pray about? And the guy said, well, I want you to pray with me about my tithe. I haven't been tithing. Brother Garner jumped up and said, you want me to bow my head, close my eyes, with my wallet in my back pocket, and you write by me about money. He said, I ain't bowing my head, closing my eyes, with a crook right beside me. Don't get mad at me. I didn't do it. Jack Garner did that. That's probably why he's in heaven. Somebody killed him. But let me help you a little bit tonight. All religions do not have the same end. Cornelius was a religious man. Notice verse 2, devout. Devout. I mean, if there's a service, he was there. You don't have to worry about Cornelius' giving record. You don't have to worry about them closing down the place where he was worshiping because he was a generous, God-fearing man that prayed on a regular basis. But he's lost. He's on his way to hell. He knows about God. He just does not know God. He knows God the Father, but he's never got a clear presentation of God the Son. He probably had a mixed up philosophy about sin. But he feared God. He was devout. This meant that Cornelius was a Gentile who had adopted many of the Jewish religious ways but did not know the Savior. I wonder how many people we walk by day by day depending on the religion to get them to heaven. 
You say, well, they won't believe me. That's not the problem. The problem is we need to tell them whether they believe it or not. You understand that? We need to give the Holy Spirit of God something to work on their heart when nobody's around but them and God Almighty. And we are to preach the gospel to every creature. He had a reputation of a religious man, and, and Cornelius was so devout that he was living in such a way that his family had adopted his very lifestyle and his religious philosophy. In essence, he was living just good enough to send his whole family to hell. He had just enough religious answers to satisfy the flesh. He had just enough devotion, if you please, to have everybody who watched him him in leadership with a hundred soldiers and all the influence he had politically. And he was influencing them all. Wrong. Why should we send missionaries? I wonder if there's somebody about your place who might be mixed up a little bit on this thing about redemption. I wonder if maybe there's somebody that you think's on their way to heaven, but if you really corn them, they don't have the right answer. You say, but they'll get mad at me. I'll run them off. I'll scare them into hell. Which hell are you going to scare them into? They're already going to one of them. Well, God didn't call me that to do that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. God said, go ye, and if you're a ye, you and I need to go. He had turned, listen, Cornelius had turned from his idolatry to worship the one true and living God, but without the knowledge of Christ. Look in your Bible, next chapter, chapter 11, verse number 13. This is what Cornelius said. This is what he said. This is what he said. The Bible said, and he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house. Peter is speaking about him. And he stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell the words whereby thou and all thy house shall be what? Religious but lost. Devout but on his way to hell. In his mind's eye, he was all right until somehow or another a witness came by and re he realized he was not saved. I was preaching in Roanoke, Texas. Does anybody know where Roanoke, Texas is? This is back when people believed the gospel. It's back when all we preachers were so broke we needed a cosigner to pay cash. And this tightwad preacher name was Buchanan. He decided it would be cheaper to have two men, one lead singing one night and the other preach, and the next night the other lead singing and preach. I preached under a tent, and the mosquitoes were using highways for landing strips 
the bugs around them like, boy, I love them old tent meetings. You remember them, Doc? And they always put the light right above the preacher's head. And every stinking bug in Texas was dive bombing from that light. <laughs> then when you did get a fair day, they said that a tornado was on the way. And I've had that tent have them flaps look like buzzard wings. And I have closed the meeting in a hurry. I preached that night. We had a hundred plus verses of just as I am without one thing. You said, I'd have been wanting to go home. We had scores of Sunday school teachers saved that night. Sunday school superintendent walked down the aisle and said, Preacher, I knew last year when you preached a revival here that I was lost, but I was embarrassed to walk forward, and I want to get saved tonight. Train going down the track just across the highway stopped. People got out of the, off the train and came to the tent meeting. Drunk, staggered in off the road, so drunk he could not even walk and fell at the altar. Never heard one word about being saved. Fell at the altar, been cried, Dear God, I need to get saved. You know what's wrong with our churches today? They're full of lost folk. They're full of religious folk that know all the answers. Yes, sir. They know all the answers. And they can give you, thus saith the Lord. And they can quote scripture. But deep down inside, their own soul is empty of all that is godly and holy and righteous and exhorting and motivational. Trying to get a holy grunt out of a Baptist church is like going to a ping pong game and getting excited. You know why we need to have missions as a priority? Because all religions don't have the same end. Obama proudly said, we're not a Christian nation. Boastingly, he said, we're a nation of Muslims and, and of every other conglomeration. Somebody said, are you a member of that denomination? He said, no, I'm a member of another abomination. And that's what this country has become, a country full of abominations to God. You know why we need to keep knocking on doors? You know why our pillars should be wet with tears? You know why we should go forth weeping, bearing precious seed? Because we need to learn to come doubtless with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us. Dear God, we need to keep missions as a priority because all religions don't have the same end. I'm supposed to be done. No, you know, when I preach, I wait till the hand's over to, on the three side. So when Andrew preaches, I think he starts a little earlier than I do. But missions ought to be a priority. Listen, because God desires to get the gospel to seeking sinners. I didn't know it. But God had been working on me a long time before I got saved. 
And if, I look, if you look back over your life, probably more than likely, you can see a series of events in your life and a series of people that now the only way that could have happened is God was working on both ends in the middle at the same time. God saw a seeking sinner's heart. And God just knew exactly who you would believe and who you would receive. And God worked it all out. So, wow, what an absolute mistake you got together. Of all the people God picked to send to Cornelius, it was old foot-in-the-mouth Peter. Amen. Open mouth, insert foot. He has got to be a fundamental Baptist of the old school. Amen. He always spoke before he thought. And the way you look at it, he never did think. But what God used that man to do. In Romans chapter 3, Verse 11, I'm going to close. It states, there is none that seeketh after God. No man has ever initiated the desire for God. But God initiates in that man's heart and in that man's bosom, in that man's soul, the need for an, an almighty God. God initiates that desire for a relationship with the Savior. One who is searching for God is always responding from a witness of God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Romans chapter number 1. Please now note, it was no accident that Cornelius... All of a sudden, saw his need for Jesus Christ. It was no accident that Cornelius all of a sudden developed the idea, what I got is not enough. It did not take a theologian to explain to Cornelius that he had a religion to live by, but he did not have one to die by. Notice Verse 19 of Romans chapter number 1. The Bible said, because, the, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Please let me suggest to you that God has not left this world without a witness that there is a supreme being. You can call him the force. You can call him anything you want to. But I call him Jehovah God. 
And every individual on the face of this earth has a threefold witness that they need God. Notice in verse 19, a witness from within. A witness from within. The Bible said, because that which may be known of God is manifest where? In them. I don't care where you go. I don't care what tribe you may go to. They are trying to find him. It may be in a form of a rain god. It may be in form of a great big fat guy, everybody walking by kissing on the belly. It don't make any difference. Everybody that's ever been born has an inward witness that there is a supreme being and a creator and a God that sits in a throne in heaven and one day will be our judge. They may say they don't believe that. They may argue they do not believe that. But deep down inside, there's a void that they're trying to fill with education and intellect and psychology and everything in the world. But I'll say to you tonight, it can only be filled with the precious blood of the Lamb and the Lord Jesus Christ. The witness from within. The witness from without. Verse 20 talks about the creation. How can you and I look at creation and say that it is not the man they create for? Dear Lord, if evolution is true, I got some folks I wish had not have stopped. There still much more needs to be accomplished in the process of evolution if evolution is a fact, Jack. It says in verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So, every tribe, every country, every person on the face of this earth is without excuse before God. That means if we don't get them the gospel, they'll die and go to hell. And they can't blame nobody but them, them and us. That one you work with, he may have a religion to live by, but does he have one to die by? He may have one he practices, but does he have one that gives him peace, that passeth all understanding? Can I help you now? I'm done. Really? Yeah. But just knowing about God is not enough. The witness from within, the witness from creation, the witness from the past, verse 21. Dear God, this nation was started by Christian folk. Not by Muslims. Not by Buddhists. And not by contemporary Christians. This, 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 this nation was founded 
with old-fashioned, King James-believing kind of Christians. They didn't have the RSV, the UPS, the bad news for a good news for a modern idiot or any of those. They just had one book. You know what amazed me? This thing worked until about 50 years ago. This one worked well. And let me tell you something. If you ever get down to it, it's not about this. It's about the, it, it, it's about the manuscripts behind this. It's not about this. It's not that you can't understand this. I'll guarantee you, you can read more in one hour and you can understand the rest of your life and what you can live in the rest of your life. Hmm? It's not about the King James. It's about the manuscripts. It's about using the one that was found in the Vatican. Or maybe the one found in Alexandria, Egypt, translated by 70 backslidden Jews. Or maybe the one that they found where Jesus had his ministry. You said, that don't make no difference. It does to me. And since I pastor this church, that's a fact, Jack. And when you get rid of this, you need a new religion for a new Bible. You start cutting out the blood, redemption, hell, abomination. We living in a world where there ain't nothing abomination anymore. Everything's accepted. Everything's relevant. This book calls it abomination. I think abomination is when a man puts a lip lock on another man. I think I'd get more out of kissing one of my coon dogs than I would a man. In fact, I know I would. I'm not going to try it, but I know I would. But we have a witness from within. We have a witness of creation. We have the witness of the past. But thus knowing about God, not good enough. We need to send missionaries across the street. We need to send eight or nine yellow missionaries out every Saturday and every Sunday. And you say, well, them bus kids don't pay the bills. Neither do you. God does. Now, don't ever forget that. God pays the bills right here. Amen. The seeking sinner, the seeking Savior, the angel told Cornelius two things. God knew he was devout, and God knew who could help him. I hope, by God's grace, that this church is continually on the lips of God, telling folks, you want to know how to get to heaven, there's a place in Joshua called Joshua Baptist Church that still believes in an old-fashioned gospel and it is the power of God unto salvation. Can anybody say amen? And it'll work on the wicked, most vile sinner that you've ever seen in all your life. Missions has got to remain a priority in this place. Because only God uses only men to reach men. You notice... 
God didn't use the angel to show Cornelius how to be saved. God's not sending any angel to tell people how to be saved because angels don't understand it. It's not in their theological vocabulary. Only sinners that have been saved by grace knows anything about grace. Save, yes, save. Glory to God, I'm saved. As powerful the angels are, they cannot sing. Save. Washed in the blood. Only God uses only men to reach men. Verse 7 and 8, and honest. I'm done. Verse 7 and 8, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually, when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. The angel did what angels can do. But God has ordained to use you and I to show religious men, lost men, doomed men and women, boys and girls, the plan of God's salvation. Can anybody say amen? The responsibility for missions rests solely upon this church. I cannot do one thing about what the church across the street does. I cannot do one thing about the church of your choice, what they do. The only thing I can do is about what this church and our philosophy of outreach, our philosophy of ministry, and it's going to be biblical till hell freezes over. First Thessalonians 2 and 4, But as we were allowed to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Go tomorrow, wherever you are, and speak the gospel. You say, I'm going to make folk mad. Mark says, Go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Every preacher. Preaching one night, Pensacola, Florida. Church was full. Every night, way back in the back. I knew the fellow was an alcoholic because he looked like he had put rouge on his cheeks each night before he came to church. And I learned to preach to rescue missions and so I, I could recognize these fellows that had a little... Cervasa problem. Been spending a little bit too much time in Colorado pumping on the Colorado Kool-Aid. And every night during the meeting, raise his hand. He's lost. He wants to get saved. 
all week long. He didn't make a move. The last night of the meeting, I just took the liberty of walking down the aisle, went back to where he was, everybody's watching and everything else. And I said, sir, every night you've raised your hand, but you lost, you're on your way to hell. Well, I just wondered tonight if you'd allow me to take the word of God and show you how to be saved. He said, no, not tonight. Next day was Saturday. I made my way to his house, knocked on his house, lived in a little shanty there in Pensacola, Florida. He answered the door, and as soon as he saw me, he broke out in tears, began to weep and cry. I said, sir, what's your problem? He said, I'm an old man, and you're the first one in all my life cared enough to ask me whether I was going to go to heaven or not. He knelt there with his old whiskey breath and his rosy cheeks and wept his way to Jesus on his front porch. Preacher, did he mean it? I don't know. Did you mean yours? The responsibility to evangelize, soul win, be missionary, is an individual responsibility. Paul said, though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory. For necessity is laid up on me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. God had no other plan for Cornelius to hear but for Peter to break through his isolationist kind of religion and realize that the Gentiles needed the gospel too. And to get that message to Peter, Peter fell into a trance and in his trance, he witnessed a sheep coming down from heaven, gathered at each corner, filled with every wild animal, creeping thing, and beast. And God looked at this Orthodox Jew, Peter, and said, Peter, kill and eat. Peter and his religious pride said, Lord, I've not tasted anything unclean. Everything I've eaten or tasted from a youth has been kosher. And God said, Peter, what I have called clean, let no man call unclean. Now get your Jewish honey out of Tanner's house and take that Jewish religion of yours and throw it out the window and go down there to Cornelius, that dirty, rotten dog of a Gentile, and show him how to be saved. Now that's what we ought to be doing. 